Our second reading is from the prophet Jonah, chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of Lord, the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. The word of the Lord. You know, one of the things I love about the church, and by that I mean the church global, is that it's one of the last institutions on the face of the earth that believes that uh, two-year-olds and 82-year-olds belong in the same place for the same reason. Um, and I just don't think there are many places left in our society where that kind of thing can happen. And uh, for those of you that know me, uh, that met me last week, our family is hoping to move to Richmond to plant a church in about a year. And one of the things that we are hoping for, for that future church plant, is that it will be a place where two-year-olds and 82-year-olds and everybody in between can come in the same place for the same reason, uh, to worship God. Now, whether you're two or whether you're 82, uh, or somewhere in between, you're in a, a wee bit of danger this morning. And here's what I mean. Our subject matter uh, this morning is a bit dangerous because if we're not careful, then we might not take it seriously. And uh, here's, here's what I mean by that. Uh, we're going to take a look at the story of Jonah. Now, the story of Jonah, if you grew up around Christians or around the church, is very, very familiar. It's one of the most famous stories in the entire Old Testament. And if you're anything like me and you grew up hearing the story, you might be tempted to think that you have nothing new to learn. Others of us that did not grow up around the church or around Christians, uh, you might have heard of this story, but it's more of a legend than historical fact. At least that's how it can sound. And so you might be in danger of thinking that uh, this is not really grounded in reality and therefore not worth taking seriously. Depending on the day, for me, I tend to slide into both of these camps. Uh, like many of you, I've heard this story since I was two years old. And uh, on my worst days, I tend to think I have nothing new to learn from it. Other days, other bad days, uh, I tend to think it's so fantastical, so out of the ordinary, that I struggle to take it seriously. Uh, and so we either need to cancel the sermon or we need to pray. I suggest we pray. Holy Spirit, please help our minds to be extra intelligent right now. And please help our hearts to be extra teachable. We need you and we need your help to understand Jonah. We pray in your name. Amen. <clears throat> As he lay curled in the fetal position with a taste of salt and fish in his mouth, he tugged at a bit of seaweed that had managed to wrap itself around his head. And he reflected on the past few weeks. Where had it all gone wrong? Things had been going so well. The economy back home was pretty good. He had good friends 
a good family, a decent job, even a pretty close relationship with God. Economically, relationally, spiritually, life was good. And then it happened, the disagreement. It had come out of nowhere, unexpected. Do what? Go where? It seemed like the worst idea he had ever heard of. You know, it's one thing to talk about being nice to foreigners, but this is going way too far. Of course he had disagreed, strongly, vehemently. And now here he was, claustrophobic, suffocating in the stench of a whale's stomach, reluctantly admitting to himself that this is what you get when you argue with God. Let's refresh our memories just for a moment on the story of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. He was someone who regularly heard the voice of God and then communicated that message with God's people. You know, not all prophets had easy lives. In fact, most of them had a pretty rough go of it. And if you think back to the past few weeks, as we have looked at a few of the prophets, you remember Hosea. Hosea had about as bad a marriage as you can imagine. Relationally, his life was very painful and very difficult. And then a few weeks after that, we talked about Amos. Amos' message was primarily one of judgment. I don't think he got invited to many parties. <laughs> Amos' life was difficult. He was unpopular. Uh, however, being a prophet in those days uh, probably carried with it a certain sense of purpose. You were hearing the voice of God. You were communicating God's message to God's people. You knew what your life was about. And you were not only serving God, but you were helping your own tribe, your own group of people. And the Christian life today is not wholly different. You all read your Bibles. You pray to hear the voice of God. You come to church to worship. You serve and you try to encourage each other to help God's people. Uh, and that brings with it a certain sense of purpose. Rightly so. It does for me. It does for you. That's how it's supposed to be. But you know, Jonah's life as a prophet, as he was going about his day-to-day -day business, was going fairly well. It was going as expected until... God gave him a new command, an unexpected command, to go and be a prophet, not to Israel, not to his own people, but to Nineveh, a city far away. And this was the worst idea Jonah had ever heard for a number of reasons. First, Nineveh was dangerous. Nineveh was an Assyrian city, and the Assyrians had a reputation. They were violent, they were cruel, and they were known for capturing enemies and skinning them alive. You did not want to be an enemy of the Assyrians. And Israel and Assyria were enemies. This is going to be a dangerous mission for Jonah. Second, the Ninevites, those who lived in Nineveh, did not know or respect Yahweh, the God of Israel. Jonah's words weren't going to carry any weight in Nineveh. So not only was this mission dangerous, it also seemed somewhat pointless. Last and most importantly, if you think about it, hearing a message from God is a privilege because it means that you are able then to have a relationship with God. This is an honor, an honor that at this point in history belongs solely to the Hebrews, to the Israelites. If God's word spread to Nineveh and to the Assyrians, well then the enemy might have a relationship with God too. That thought was unbearable. For Jonah, worst case scenario, he goes to Nineveh and they actually listen. That thought was completely horrific to Jonah. The enemies of God might actually begin to have a relationship with God. He couldn't stand it. 
And so, to Jonah's credit, he did something that you and I often do not have the guts to do. Here's what he does. In Jonah's response to God's command, we see a great example of authentic spirituality. Here's what I mean by authentic. By authentic, I mean it's genuine, it's unfaked, it's unpretentious. He's not deceiving himself or anyone else. Here's what he does. God's command comes to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah disagrees with God. He holistically disagrees. And you know, it's not that most of us don't disagree. Uh, It's not that most of us uh, agree with God all of the time, but what we often do is we disguise our disagreements with God under a layer of misdirection. And here's what I mean. When I sense God nudging me to love someone really, really difficult and really, really unpleasant, suddenly I become just too busy. When I sense God leading me to give away more of my resources to help those in need, Suddenly, uh, in our family, there's a kitchen that just needs to be remodeled or maybe a vacation that just needs to be taken because I've been so busy. I change the subject. I decide and I I tell folks, I'll I'll just pray for that person rather than spending time with them. I find a reason for why now is just not a good time. I disagree with God all the time. I'm just too scared to do it openly. Because... If I openly disagree with God, that means that I have to admit to myself that a 31-year-old white guy from Central Virginia is disagreeing with the all-powerful, all-knowing God of the universe. And that presents a problem. And I think the problem's with me. It's very uncomfortable. So I lie to myself, and I lie to God. And I tell him, and I tell myself, and I tell my friends that, oh, I'm all for loving hard people. And I'm all for risking everything for God's kingdom. And I lie because I'm horribly uncomfortable with disagreeing with God because I'm horribly uncomfortable with the idea that there is a God who can disagree with me. To Jonah's credit, he does no such thing. He openly disagrees and essentially pulls the equivalent of, hey, look, something shiny, and then splits and takes off in the opposite direction. Nineveh is due north, so Jonah hops on a vessel, hops on a boat, headed due south. He's racing for the border. Uh, Maybe he's hoping that God is something like like the FBI and won't have jurisdiction in Mexico. (laughs) Even when a storm comes up and threatens to sink the ship, what is Jonah's response? He says that he would rather die than repent and obey God. He would rather die than agree with God. Jonah offers to commit suicide by being thrown overboard into the ocean. And here we see one of the most contentious disagreements in the entire Bible. God has told Jonah to go give his message to the citizens of Nineveh. Jonah disagrees so strongly that he runs away and when faced with death, he chooses death over obedience. You can't disagree with God much more than that. So let's ask ourselves, how does God respond to such radical disagreement and disobedience? Today is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to you. For most of us, today is mostly about brunch, which is good. For some of us, uh, today uh, is a day of mourning as we reflect and remember our mothers whom we have lost. You know, I've got to say something about good mothers. There are occasions when a good mother needs to hold the line 
and give out just punishment as it is deserved, right? There are other occasions when a good mother will discern that the teachable moment requires not just punishment, but actually mercy. That that's actually going to be the most teachable thing given the situation. God, like a good mother, is a good parent. And God, in this situation with Jonah, discerns that the teachable moment requires mercy, not punishment. And so God doesn't let Jonah commit suicide. Even though the natural penalty for disobeying God all throughout human history has always been death. Going back even to the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis in the very beginning, humanity rebels and disobeys God, and the penalty for that is death. But here in this situation, God steps in. And this is where we see the gospel in the book of Jonah. It's not the gospel according to Jonah. It's the gospel happening to Jonah. God steps in. Like a fireman holding a net beneath a jumper, Jonah jumps and God catches him. And God catches him in one of the most famous but unlikeliest of ways in history. In a day with no Coast Guard, no helicopter rescue missions, no life preservers, how do you rescue a man who is intent on drowning himself in the Mediterranean Sea? Well, apparently one way to do it is to get a whale to swallow the man and somehow keep him alive in a semi-comatose state inside the giant mammal. Not what I would have thought of. We've got to say this. The miracle of Jonah's survival in the belly of the beast is not the point of this story. Remember, we're talking about a God who creates the universe ex nihilo, out of nothing, with just his spoken word. This is the God who, throughout the story of the Bible, has parted the Red Sea. He's freed millions of slaves from Egypt. He's led them through the wilderness. He's given them a land. He's helped them to conquer it. He's raised up a dynasty of kings. He's overthrown empires. And one day, he will wrap himself in skin and come to earth as a human. He will feed thousands of people miraculously. He will heal the sick. He will die. He will raise from the dead, providing the potential for eternal salvation to all of humanity. So you've got one man adrift in the Mediterranean Sea and one giant sea creature. It's just not a big deal to God. It's not a very big miracle. And if we're talking about the God of the universe here, the miracle in this story is not the point. And as with all miracles throughout the Bible, the miracle itself is never the point. It's always what the miracle points towards. And in this case, what the miracle points to is that God not only pursues Jonah, but actually spares him. And even in the midst of his disagreement and disobedience, the point is that it's God's compassion that carries the day. So here we have it. Jonah disagrees and runs away. God pursues and rescues. Jonah is disobedient. God is compassionate. Jonah chooses death. God chooses life. I know you see the juxtaposition. It's so clear. God's compassion on Jonah is so undeserved. It's not even requested. Jonah is not asking for mercy, but he gets it anyway. He is trying to run away. He's trying with all his might to disobey God. Do you remember being a kid and trying with all of your might to disobey your parents? You knew exactly what they wanted you to do, and you were determined to do exactly the opposite. None of you have experienced this. It's just me. <laughs> Jonah's intent on killing himself. He's intent on taking the life that God gave him. You know, 
You know what ends up changing Jonah's mind? It's not a logical argument. It's not the fear of pain and death. It's not uh, punishment. It's none of these things. It's the compassion of God that ends up changing, changing Jonah's mind. And if you know the story, Jonah does actually end up changing his mind. And as we'll see next week, Jonah does end up going to Nineveh. And there he has quite the adventure. But it's the compassion of God that changes Jonah's mind. You know, some of us are a bit more sophisticated than others. Here's what I mean. Some of us are able, through an elaborate series of explanations, excuses, and very reasonable sounding stories, to explain away why we are just not ready to obey God. Not quite yet. I remember a time when uh, my younger brother Michael and I overheard our mother telling uh, a friend of hers about us. And this is what she said. I'll never forget this. She calls me Daniel, not Dan. She said, Daniel will politely agree to do just about anything, but he may never get around to it. Michael, on the other hand, will do everything that he agrees to do. The problem is getting him to agree. That boy loves to say no. Which one are you? Do you easily agree to things and then not follow through? Or are you the kind that will stick your feet into the dirt and just stand your ground and argue and argue and argue? Because you're the kind that if you actually agree to it, you know you're going to do it. Or if neither of those fit, then perhaps you were the child who pretended not to hear mom and dad, hoping that if you'd ignored them long enough, maybe they'd go away and ask somebody else. Which one are you? Let's look at a couple test cases. Let's say, let's imagine together, let's say a new neighbor moves in across the street. Now, hypothetically, if you're the kind of person with a perfectly manicured lawn, then they are a little bit trashy. They tend to leave their junk all over the yard. On the other hand, if you're the messy kind, then they're the ones who will come over and just knock on your door and with snobbish politeness ask you if you would kindly clean up your things for the sake of the neighborhood. Can you imagine this kind of neighbor? If you like peace and quiet, they like to play music so loudly you can hear it from your bedroom as you're trying to fall asleep. If you're the kind that likes to party a little bit, then they're the ones who will passive-aggressively call in a noise ordinance violation on the police without actually telling you. Can you imagine this kind of neighbor? You have no, no neighbors like this, I, I trust. Uh, if you can imagine this kind of neighbor in your mind's eye, you know what God says? God says, love them. God says, serve them. God says, think of them as more highly than yourself. This is not an optional suggestion. This is a command from God. How have you responded? Have you pretended to agree? Have you openly rebelled and disagreed with God? Have you ignored the command, hoping God will ask somebody else to love and serve and think highly of this annoying, irritating neighbor? You know, for most of us, Nineveh is no further than just across the street. Let's try a different one. If that shoe doesn't fit, let's try a different one. We're in a school. Let's go to school. Imagine one of your fellow students. This person is better looking than you. I'm sorry, they are. They're more handsome. They're more beautiful. This person is smarter than you. They take harder classes. They get higher grades. And they will go to a better college than you. This person is funnier than you. They never seem to have an awkward moment. 
This person is even better dressed than you. Why does everything look so good on them? This person, when you stand next to them, they make you feel weak, ugly, dumb, and awkward. You hate being around this kind of person. And this goes far beyond just high school. Most of us all know somebody like this. Can you imagine this kind of person? Do you have them in your mind's eye? You know what God says? God says, love them. God says, serve them. God says, think of them as more highly than yourself. But, but you say, everyone else already thinks of them as more highly than me. It's not fair. That's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. You're right, it's not fair. God's compassion is not fair. It is not deserved. It is not expected. We, as a community, have received compassion from God. Compassion that is not deserved. Compassion that is not fair. And whether we're ready to admit it or not, whether we've tried to fool ourselves into thinking and believing that we're actually very obedient people, or whether we've openly disagreed and tried to run away from God, or whether we've just ignored God and hoped that he'll leave us alone, whoever we are, most of us have not gone to the Ninevehs in our lives, at least not the first time. And when we ran away, God pursued us. He chased after us. And even though we, as a community, deserve death for our disobedience, he rescues us. You know, God's compassion is actually the best of motivators. You know why? It's 1 John chapter 4 that was read just a few moments ago. All the way back to the, to the New Testament now. We love because he first loved us. Our internal motivation for our external service and love and interaction with very, very difficult people starts with God's love and God's compassion. Why on earth would you love and serve and think highly of a rotten neighbor or a stuck-up classmate that has it so much better than you? Why would you do that? It doesn't make any sense. Unless someone else has done it for you, then it begins to make sense. Let's go back to Jonah. He wiggled, he squirmed, trying to get comfortable. But it turns out there's, there's just no way to get comfortable inside a digestive tract. This is what you get when you argue with God, he thought. But now it occurred to him in a new light. This was no prison. This was no punishment. And the discomfort of being swallowed alive was nothing compared to the discomfort of realizing that God was far better to him than he was to God. And so, fathoms deep beneath the rolling waves, a humbled man began to speak in a voice that only God could hear. Jonah surrendered to God. The man who would rather die than obey gave his life over to the one who saved his life. It was God's compassion that won him over. And it's God's compassion that wins us over. It's God's compassion that internally motivates us to externally go and love and serve and think highly of irritating neighbors and stuck-up well-to-do classmates and everybody else in between. That's our motivation. It's God's compassion. That's right. God, we are so thankful that you initiated love and mercy and compassion to us. We are so thankful that it was not on us to make the first move. We are so thankful that you pursued Jonah when he was running as hard as he could. And we are so thankful that you pursue us 
even when we are running away as fast as we can. Would you please help us to love our literal neighbors and our classmates and our coworkers and our families and show to them the kind of compassion that you have shown us. Please help us. Amen. Surrender. 